Okay. I'm milling about with Hawk Koch, who wrote the book Magic Time, My Life in Hollywood. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you very much. Looking forward to this. Sit a little bit closer. Sure. Beautiful. Beautiful. So we were just talking about where we grew up. Right. And uh, you originally grew up where? I grew up in L.A. I'm an Angelino. Born and raised. Born and raised. I can see by the tan. So you've yes. got you got a little sun yes, going still, on. Still. Yes. <laughs> Can't get rid of that. No. Yeah. Where did you find your, your love of movies? Where did that start? Uh, well, uh, my dad was in the business. Yeah. And uh, at four years old, my mother drove my sister and I up to Colorado because my dad was an assistant director on a movie. And I was a shy little kid. I used to hide in my mother's dress. And uh, I got... Uh, oh, okay. Craig. Hold that thought. Can I get a, a tea? What kind of teas do you... English breakfast, Earl Grey, chamomile, mint, green tea. Mint. Mint. Perfect. And he said the cream spinach was to die for, so <laughs> I think I must try that. The cream spinach? Yeah. And some water with lemon would be great. What do you have? Chamomile tea with with honey, please. All right. Thank and what's you. your name? Jose. Jose, welcome to the podcast. Hi. <laughs> nice to meet you. Thank, Thank you. you. So at any rate, yeah. uh, I, we went up to Colorado. And I was told that the next day I was going to go on the set with my dad. And I didn't even know what a set was. And the next morning I didn't want to leave my mom because I never saw my dad very much because he was working six and seven days. So I'm crying, I'm in the car, and we drive for about 20 minutes, and all of a sudden I see cowboys and Indians and teepees and cavalry. And, and where were, am I? The trucks were off to the side, but I didn't care. And I got out of the car, and from not wanting to be there, I was like running around all over the place. And a Native American put me on his knee, and many moons ago, and he's telling me this. It was Ricardo Montalban. It wasn't. A, I was going to say, yeah. yeah. It, wasn't, it was an actor. Yeah, it was an actor. And then a guy came up on a horse and said, uh, Have you ever been on a horse before? No. And he said, You want to go for a horseback ride? And, and what, you were what, four, four years old? What, what four year old wouldn't want to get on a horse? Right. So I said, Yeah. So he put me on a horse and rode me around for a few minutes. I spent the whole day on the set with cameras and grips and wardrobe and everybody. I had a ball. And I got home that night. My father said to my mother, Guess who gave little Howie, because I had the same name as my dad, little Howie, uh, his horseback ride my mother said who and my father said Clark Gable no. yes yeah so that was like I didn't know who Clark Gable was he was just a big guy with a mustache what did I know oh my, and he knew how to ride a horse oh yeah oh yes he knew how to ride you know a, a lot of actors fake it no 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 he, <laughs> he knew how to ride a horse and uh, it was it was love of movies from then on. My dad made B-movies in the 50s, so I I went on the set. And every summer and every Christmas, my dad never took vacations. I went on location. And so that's how uh, I loved the business from the very beginning. Everybody thinks it is so glamorous to be on a movie set. <laughs> Give us the real deal. Well, if you're not working on the set, yeah. it's the most boring place in the world because it takes a long time. Yeah. The actors are sitting in their trailer. They're getting ready. 
the directors working on the next day's work, the grips and electricians and the cinematographers are lighting, getting marks, doing all that kind of stuff, and then everybody comes in and they all get together, kind of similar like when a pitch is going, when a, at a baseball field, when everybody's milling around and all of a sudden the pitcher's ready milling to pitch, about. milling about. There you go. <laughs> and just as the pitch, as the pitcher's about to pitch, everybody in the stadium and all the players on the field, all the players in the in in the in the uh, in the dugouts, everybody's ready, and they watch what happens with that pitch. It could be ball one, strike one. It could be a home run, a base hit, a ground ball. And then once it's over, everybody relaxes again. Well, that's what happens on a movie set. Mm -hmm. The actors come in, the camera's ready, everything, roll camera. We roll, we shoot the scene, everybody. Wardrobe, camera, props, grip, everybody are right there. But when the director yells cut, you relax again. Yeah, and yeah. You get ready for take two, or you get ready for a new shot. Now, because, as I was reading in your book, you said you found it very difficult to have a relationship with your father, who is the big wig at Paramount. Um, how did you establish your relationship with your own children as a result of that? <laughs> well, uh, I think because I never was able to talk to my father, and if he, if he met you, he'd sit with you for six hours, and you'd come out and say, what are you talking about? Charming as He's ever. the most charming man. He was so wonderful. I'm in love with your father. Yeah. It, I, I don't understand. Why aren't you? I was in love with my dad, but he just couldn't talk to me. Mm -hmm. He so, was of a different generation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But as far as my kids, I wasn't going to let my kids off the hook. <laughs> you know, and right. still to this day, I think, you know, I've got my kids are uh, older. <laughs> and are they I, in the movie business no, as well? My youngest son is a wonderful uh, entertainment attorney. Oh, that's uh, good to have. Yes. Nice to have. <laughs> paying back for all the private schools and colleges and law schools and everything. Okay. So, and my oldest son was in the business, but he moved out of that business. He... I always told my kids that if pumping gas is what you love, mm -hmm. then go pump gas. Yeah. Don't do something you don't love. And that's something I, all of your people out there, boy, you know, we, the, the, the cliche is the cliche, which is, you know, you know, boy, life goes by really fast. It does. Mm -hmm. And so I always say, you better be having fun because if you're not having fun, find something else to do. You and know? you know, this business is so intoxicating. And it's it's almost like an addiction in a way. Like you have to right, you have to go from like one project to the next, or else, or else you feel like, what am I going to do with myself? Well, in it, a way, it, 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 again, since the studio systems collapsed many, 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 many years ago, um, yeah, everybody, most people are uh, not under contract, so we're all freelance. And so you do one movie, and when that movie's over, the day after that movie's over, I get so depressed because I've had a movie family. I get two families, my regular family and my movie family. And then you hope that you can all get back together again on whatever that next project is. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's... It's really wonderful. I was just I was just talking to uh, Helen Mirren the other night. Thank you. Oh, uh, and just about, talking to Helen Mirren the well, other night. Well, I was night. doing an I was doing an event. <laughs> I tease. I kid. That's okay. I was doing an event for both the Producers Guild and for SAG Foundation, and Helen was nice enough to do it with me. Mm. And we were talking about family and how important it is because as Helen says and I love this about her she's such uh, a dame she's oh, one of the greatest people yes. 
Oh my gosh, I yeah. love her. But what she said is, there's no class system in making movies. The actor, the director, and the guy sweeping the floor, we gotta have all of them together. We're one family. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that she gets it really means a lot to me because it's true. When you when you were first making movies, and I know your father gave you your big break, your first big break, which, right. which was great, was there any kind of pinch me moment when, you know, I gotta tell you a quick story. I met Jack Nicholson in an elevator and he kissed my hand and literally did not wash my hand for a month. <laughs> and I don't do that with anybody. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. there are several moments, but the, the first one was, yeah, my dad helped me get a job on a movie called This Property is Condemned in mm -hmm. 1965. And it starred Natalie Wood and a young actor in his second film by the name of Robert Redford. And uh, beseech my heart. Okay, yes. yeah. I was uh, became the second AD, the assist, second assistant director on that film, and uh, I was working really hard. I was 19 years old, and I went into the bathroom, and there were two guys in the bathroom that didn't see me. And the first guy, they walked in the bathroom, and the first guy said, uh, "You know, the only reason that guy Koch got the job is because his dad's head of Paramount." And my, I mean, I just, I folded. I was just, oh, that's the only reason I'm here is because of my father. Uh, but the other guy said, yeah, that's probably true, but why don't you give him a break because he's really doing a great job and he's working his ass off. And I thought at that moment, you know what? I had to work harder than anybody else because my dad was the most well-loved man in Hollywood. And how do I know that? Is because wherever I met, my name was Howard Koch Jr., Mm -hmm. Wherever I was introduced to somebody, they'd go, oh, I know your dad. You know, he's the most wonderful man. You know, he gave me my first job or he helped my son or my aunt or my uncle or whatever. Please say hello to him for me. And they'd walk away. Nobody like like you didn't exist. Right. Like no I, one asked about you. Exactly. I knew that I had to work harder than anybody else if I was going to succeed. And uh, so I was lucky enough to... Uh, to move ahead in the business, as we say. Yeah. So I went from PA to president of the Motion Picture Academy, which was pretty amazing. Nice. Pretty amazing. So you have a great story, speaking of Natalie Wood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Natalie, well, there's, there's two, but the one, the one I love that gets the big laughs, which is true, is on day three of shooting down in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, for anybody there is listening from Mississippi, um, uh, I was... Uh, I was told to go get Natalie Wood mm -hmm. from her trailer. Thank and, you. Ooh, that does look uh, good. Yeah. I'm having cream spinach. Yes. Very nice. Yeah. Okay. It's, it really is Love good. It. And this is Bob's Steakhouse, if anybody's wondering where we are. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Natalie. So, I ran down to the, uh, to the base camp, to her trailer, and I knocked on the door, and I, I heard, yes, and I said, oh, we're ready for you. And she said, oh, I'll be out in a few minutes. And I said, oh, well, uh, James Wong Howe, two Oscars for cinematography for HUD and the Rose Tattoo. I said, uh, James Wong Howe, our cinematographer, said the light is perfect. Silence. She opened the door. She walked down. She took my arm and walked me up to the set. 
And when she went on the set, everybody said, how did you get Natalie Wood out of her trailer? She never comes out of her trailer. And I said, well, I told, them, told her that the light was perfect. I've been using that on every actor for the last 50 years, and it works. I was naive not knowing what a big deal that was for oh, yeah. an actor or an actress to say, the light's perfect, ooh, that means I'm going to look good. Right, right. I think your other story is really great. The one about the airplane? Yeah. What's well, so? Because who, who's not in love with Natalie Wood? I mean, come on. Everybody was. Everybody is still. Still. Um, so I... We shot in Mississippi, went back to L.A., and then we were going to go to New Orleans to shoot the next, the last part of the film. And the production said, you know, Natalie really trusts you, and will you fly down with her and kind of protect her in and out of the airport? Not a lot of private planes in 1965. Mm. And, you know, and get her to the, her hotel and all that kind of stuff in New Orleans. Sure. So, because I'm with Natalie Wood, I get to fly first class, sitting next to her. We're flying from L.A. to New Orleans, and we're having a few drinks, and we're talking. I mean, I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm sitting with Natalie Wood for three and a half hours. Did she smell good? She seemed like she smelled great. <laughs> well, she wore something called Jungle Gardenia, which wasn't my favorite, oh. but she put a lot of it on. <laughs> so, just as we're about to land... Mm -hmm. The captain says we're landing, you know, and the 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 uh, the gears go down, the landing gear go down, and all of a sudden the plane goes straight up in the air. I mean, straight up Did in the air. Did you die? I thought I was going to die. Oh my Natalie gosh. grabbed my arm, and I thought to myself, as any smart, red-blooded, 19-year-old would do, I thought, if I'm going to die, I'm going to kiss Natalie Wood before I die. And as I'm literally leaning over to her, the captain comes on and says, Sorry, folks, we're okay. Another plane landed on the runway, and I had to get away or we would have crashed into it. So I never got to kiss Natalie Wood. Oh, you should have told her that story. She probably would have let you give her a kiss after all that. <laughs> never thought of that, damn it. Oh, Maybe I can man. use it on somebody else. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Um, but gosh, you worked with so many fantastic actors and directors in your time, and there's so many stories. So I just want to do word association sure. with you. I'm going to throw sure. out an actor's okay. name and tell okay. me what comes up. Okay. Okay, so we're going to start with Jack. As in Nicholson. Uh, I know. <laughs> um, well, uh, there are certain actors and actresses that are a cut above everybody else. Jack's one of those. Not only is he a great actor, but because his personality is what it is, he, you want to be around him. He he attracts people. I right. think that's my dad ran Sinatra's company in the in the early '60s, and I watched people get. It was like a magnet to Frank. Same thing with Jack. You wanted to be around Jack. Right, like I told you in my elevator story. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You just wanted to. Very charismatic. You want me to tell a Jack story? Yes! Okay. Give me a Jack story. Okay. I just saw The Shining again after all these years, but I digress. Go. <laughs> so, as a lot of people who like basketball know, Jack is a huge Los Angeles Lakers fan. Oh, yeah. He always goes to the games and everything. So, it's 1974, and uh, we're about to, we're going to shoot on a Friday. 
and Jack comes to me on Wednesday and says, hey, can you find me a little portable TV that I can plug in my little dressing room on the stage? Because the Lakers are playing Friday afternoon, and when I'm not shooting, I'd like to watch the game. And he called you Bullhorn, right? Yes, well, that's because I had a very loud voice. I didn't need a bullhorn. Okay. <laughs> so... I happened to have, in those days, a little black and white Sony with the rabbit ears that was in the kitchen of my house, and I said, oh yeah, I'll bring mine in. So Here you are, a fancy movie producer, and you have a TV with rabbit ears. There's something... Well, in those days, <laughs> in those days, that was a big deal to have an extra TV with rabbit ears. <laughs> so I brought it in, and every Friday night, Polanski, who is a genius filmmaker, uh, would always have a party up at his house and every week it would be a different theme. There would be, um, we'd have Japanese food and he'd have kabuki dancers. And this night, this Friday night, was going to be mariachis and we were having Mexican food. Wow. So Roman always liked to finish by 6.30 so he could get home. There were a lot of people from the crew and cast that were invited. Was he with Sharon Tate at this time? No, this yeah. is after. Okay. This okay. is 1974. Sharon died in 69. Right, yes. And um, so we're on the last shot of the night and we're ready to shoot. And so I told my assistant director, her name was Michelle Adair, and she was a woman. I want you to know, hired a woman assistant with me way, way, way back before. in 1974. Good for you. We applaud that. Thank you. Uh, and she went to Jack's trailer. And she came back to me kind of timidly and said, Jack said he, he can't because they're in the fourth quarter of the game. He'll be out in a few minutes. So Roman heard that and he went, Howie, Howie, please, come on. We want to go home. Go, go get Jack, will you please? Sounded a little bit Italian, but I get it. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I'll try. I'm not an actor. I'm a producer. So I said to, uh, I went down to Jack's trailer and I knocked on the door and I said, uh, Jack, we're ready. You know, come on, let's go. He said, I can't. There's like 30 seconds left. Oh, my God. I said, what happened, Jack? He said, Jerry West just hit a shot. We're going to overtime. So I said, all right, Jack, there's a commercial. Come on, let's go do... No, 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 it's overtime. I'm not moving. Right? So I go back and I said, Roman, he says, it's overtime. He did, overtime? We're in overtime, God damn it. Right? So he goes down with me and he's knocking on the door by this time jack has locked his dressing room door so you can't get in and roman says come on jack come on we gotta finish i got a party tonight what said, film was this for chinatown chinatown this oh is my chinatown. goodness so roman very smartly says you know jack he said okay all right double overtime i want to watch it with you let me in oh come on roman you don't i he said jack i swear let me in i'll watch it with you so Jack opens the door, and right inside the door is my little TV. Roman takes the TV, picks it up, and throws it across the stage floor, breaks into a million pieces. Jack takes off that beautiful suit he had, throws the suit jacket at Roman. You Polish blah, 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 blah. Oh, man. How could you blah, 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 blah. Roman had a sweater on. He takes the sweater off, throws it in jackets. They were getting naked, <laughs> fighting each other. Yelling, screaming at each other all the way down, literally to their underwear. Oh, God. They go run off the set yelling at each other. I yell rap because obviously we're not going to finish the day's work, right? And I don't know what happened. 
So about an hour later, I drive up to Roman's house, and I'm thinking, oh, God, are we going to be able to shoot on Monday? Is the movie over? What's, you know, did they kill each other? They're hugging. They're having the best time. I go up to him. I said, what happened? I said, well, we got to the corner of Gower and Melrose, which is right outside Paramount Studios. And we, we looked like we were both naked. We looked at each other and cracked up. We were laughing so hard. Everything's fine. So that's a, that's, that's a fun yeah. Jack story. Do you think he'll ever come out of retirement? If there's an amazing part, mm-hmm. I think he's done it all. Mm. So I don't know that he'll ever, unless there's something that he just can't turn down. Mm. And what, what do you think that would look like for him? What, what would amazing look like for Jack? A part that can show off his personality as an old, old man. It would be really tough for Jack to come back. Maybe he's he'll play a, a fan at a Laker game. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Someone has to write that script. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Well, there is a there is a HBO movie coming out about the Lakers Showtime about the '80s that a friend of mine wrote and is producing. So, oh, cool. Yeah. But you would think he would want to get involved, maybe in producing or directing. He just like left the building like Elvis, yeah. literally. Well, but Jack, he, he's done it all. Mm. I mean, there's a, I don't, there's a story in the book where, you know, I was fortunate enough because my dad produced eight Oscar shows. I'm sitting directly behind Jack on the night that Chinatown is nominated for 11 Oscars, and we've only won one, and there's only a couple Oscars left to give out, and one of them is Best Picture and Best Actor. And he's up against Pacino. And we're thinking, you know, who's going to win, Pacino or or Jack, Jack or Pacino? And when uh, the announcement came, it was Art Carney for Harry and Tonto. Neither one of them won. And I leaned forward and I said, gee, Jack, I'm so sorry, man. You were just fantastic. And he turned around and he looked at me and said, that's okay, Bullhorn. I'm a shoe in next year for Cuckoo's Nest. (laughs) And he won the next year for Cuckoo's Nest. He's psychic. (laughs) If you're just joining us, this is Milling About, and I'm with Hawk Koch. I want to ask you how you got that name. Okay. Uh, And the book is called Magic Time, My Life in Hollywood. So how did you get that name, Hawk? Well, it was drilled into me my whole life that I wasn't Howard Koch Jr. I was Howard W. Koch Jr. And so wherever I met somebody, as I told you before, everybody never talked to me. They always talked about my father. So I'm 49 years old, I've gone through several marriages, um, and I've got three kids, and I've got, at that time, three grandsons. And I'm sitting with a good Catholic buddy of mine, Gary Lucchese, and I'm saying, you know, I gotta do something spiritual for my 50th birthday. And he said, well, I've been to all your children's bar and bat mitzvahs, and I know you want bar mitzvah. Can anyone get bar mitzvah at 50? And I said, gee, Gary, I don't know. What a great idea. So I went around and I tried to find a kind of a cool rabbi and I found a man who taught Kabbalah and Hebrew meditation, not some big fancy schmancy guy. And I went and... And he had an English accent, right? Yes, he did. (laughs) He did. How'd you know that? I read the book. Oh. (laughs) And I spoke to him for about a half hour and then he said to me, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm a movie producer. And he went, no, 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 no. Who are you? And I said, oh, well... I'm a, I'm a father and I'm a son. He went, who are you? And I went, oh shit, I'm in trouble with this guy. And I didn't know what to say. I didn't know who I was. Mm. 
And finally, I just, for whatever reason, said, oh, I'm a Jewish man. And he said, well, that's a start. And I thought, oh, uh-oh, real in trouble with this guy. And he said, what's your Hebrew name? And I said, my parents were non-religious and I never got a Hebrew name. And he said to me, well, for your 50th birthday, for your bar mitzvah, you'll be given your own name. Well, when he said that, I broke down. And he said, what's the matter? And I said, I just realized for 49 years, I've had my father's name. I want my own name. And then the rabbi said the words that changed my life. He said, you can have your own name. What? A rabbi told me I could have my own name. Oh my God, this was such a revelation. He said, did you ever have a nickname? And I said, well, my initials were HWK. I used to write them on my school books. A few people called me Hawk, but it never really stuck. And he said, do you know anything about hawks? And I said, yeah, bird of prey. And he said, well, no, hawks mate for life. And I said, that, that, was, some, that was something I was not very good at. And he said, they also can see from horizon to horizon. And they could see a rabbit a half a mile away. Wouldn't it be great if you could see the panoramic of your life and the detail always at the same time? Mm. And I thought, wow, that's mm. really cool. And I said, but isn't Hawk a pretentious name? And he said, it's only pretentious if you allow it to be. And so I, I thought, wow, at 49, I'd run production companies, I'd produced movies, I had wives, I had children, friends, could I actually do this? And I went up to a place called Telluride, California, Colorado. And I was up there for a few days trying to figure out if I could do it. And I can show you, but I can't, that your your fans can't see it, but it's a, it's a little trinket that I wear around my neck that has a cloud, a lightning bolt, and the word listen on it. Oh, that's, I just got a chill, and, wow. And I, I said to the Native American who was selling them, I said, what does that mean? And he said, do you know how dirt between the lightning and the thunder, we are awake and aware and attuned. We see it, we hear it, we taste it, we touch it, we smell it. Wouldn't it be great if you could be that awake, aware and attuned all of your life, not just between the lightning and the thunder. And I thought, oh, that's the world telling me that's the A in Hawk. So it became H-A-W-K. Wow. And that's how I got it. And when I became Hawk and I was introduced to somebody, they didn't say, oh, I know your father. They said, wow, what a cool name, or what a strange name, or how'd you get that name, or what do you do, or it, who are you? It started a whole new conversation. Right. That's great. So, and 10 yeah. months later, I met Molly, who wrote the book with me, who is my wife, and we've been together for 23 years. So this hawk made it for life. So you did. So you found the love of your life. Yes, and the I did. Person you, that's beautiful. Yes. yes. Oh, boy. Okay, let's switch gears. Getting okay. a little emotional here. Okay. Let's talk about Roman Polanski. Uh, I have to ask you to weigh in on this most recent news that has come up and why can't Roman come back and this woman already forgave him. What's going on? Um, Roman is probably one of the top two or three directors I ever worked with. Genius. Mm -hmm. Genius, genius, genius. He's an amazing guy. He's an amazing raconteur. He's got a wife, he's got kids. In the 70s, a lot of people did things maybe they're not proud of. <laughs> In the 60s and 70s, there was a lot of drugs around, a lot of stuff around. 
and he probably did something that he shouldn't have done, which he admitted. Mm. And he went to prison for a, a ma- amount of time. And when he came out, the deal with the judge was that he was going to serve the rest of whatever time on probation. He served his time up at Chino, and that's what the deal was. However, he found out that the judge was not going to uphold what the deal he had made with the lawyers were. And if Roman didn't leave, this judge was going to put him away for a long, long time. And he had no recourse. So he left. Um, Is that common knowledge? Uh, it was in a, a documentary called uh, Polanski uh, Wanted and Desired. Okay. And it's a really good documentary. Oh, have to check that out. So I feel bad because Roman should have made a lot more movies than he did make. Mm-hmm. But um, the woman forgave him. Uh, I'm, I'm someone who believes in the Me Too movement. And I believe there are some really horrible men. <laughs> oh, yeah. But there are also some women, because I've seen it, who want to get ahead or want, as as Andy Warhol said, their 15 minutes of fame. So I don't know that I believe everybody who comes out with a story. I know that me personally, I never pushed my way into any woman, but there might be a woman out there who will say, oh, yes, you did, Hawk. Yes, you did. In 1970, you, you know, but... I was never that kind of person, and I don't believe that Roman was the kind of person who just pushed his way. He knows what it's be to be an outcast. He had to hide from the Nazis. Mm, yeah. Okay. If you ever read his book, this man had to hide. He knows what it's like to be scared out of his mind, and I don't think he'd do something to scare somebody else, mm. except in a movie. <laughs> like like Repulsion or Chinatown or right, right. something else. So I I, I, I I feel bad for Roman and I feel bad that uh, he can never come back here, but he's lived a, a pretty good life in France and Poland. Mm, you keep in touch? Yes, yes. I've had Skype interviews with him. Oh, really? Yeah, he's amazing man. He, he did a, for my 60th birthday, my wife got him to, he sent a video of himself Howie, Howie, remember, oh, I didn't tell the rest, the end of that story. The next morning, Roman's assistant brought over a color little Sony with the rabbit ears the next morning after uh, he had broken my TV. Oh, perfect so, ending, uh, yeah. I forgot that, yeah, I forgot <laughs> to tell that part of the story. Uh, you remember when I broke your TV? I'm sorry, I apologize. This is on you your know, 60th birthday? On my 60th birthday, you know, it was really sweet. Oh, man. Really Have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I sure did. Is that... Is I, I loved it because that was my era. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Quentin wrote a memo to everybody saying, here are the 13 movies you should see before you see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He and, didn't write it to me. Uh, no, it was it was out in the, the press somewhere. I did, yeah. And... I had worked on like four or five of those movies that they told us to go see, like Getting Straight and Pendulum and Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, all these movies. And in the in the movie itself, as as uh, what's her name is walking into the movie theater, Margot Robbie. And Margot Robbie on the uh, on the marquee behind it says Pendulum, and I was a second AD on Pendulum. It's called Once Upon a Time. Uh, in Hollywood, wouldn't it have been a great if, in fact, the Manson family went to the wrong house and got their ass kicked? <laughs>
What are you working on these days? I'm on a book tour, and thank you so much for, for listening to my stories, and sure. hopefully your people will read it. Uh, I've got, I would say, four or five movies that I'm involved in that I hope some will go next year. Uh, Any that you can talk talk to me about? Well, there's about? there's no actors in them at the moment, so I don't mm -hmm. think people are really interested. There's a, a, a wonderful book that won the uh, National Book Award in 2004 called Arc of Justice, which we were about to do and it fell apart. That's a story that always happens in Hollywood, and I'm going to... Uh, update a movie I made uh, gave Taylor Hackford his first job on a movie called The Idol Maker and we're gonna update that so therein lies why Helen Mirren oh well hell yeah I've known Taylor's I gave him his first job on The Idol Maker and then yes when he did White Nights he fell in love with Helen and the two of them been together ever since and that's why Helen's been a friend of mine that you can say you did the shit off you made that yes, there you, you made go. that happen there you go there you go there you go any other um, couples in Hollywood that... Couples. <laughs> couples. Uh, Ted Danson and uh, Mary... Steenburgen. Steenburgen. Uh, they have a real love affair. That's a real love affair. Mm. And my father and mother were together for 63 years. Wow. And that was a real love affair. And I think that's why I had that image of that's how marriage is supposed to work. And first couple of times it didn't work that way. <laughs> Annette Bening and Warren Beatty. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, that's another That's another couple. Yes. Annette and you've and worked with Warren. I've worked with Warren and I, Annette and I were on the Board of Governors of the Academy together. Mm -hmm. I've done several movies with Warren. Yeah. He's, uh, <laughs> he keeps things very close to the vest. He wants to suck everything out of you that he can. But if you ask him a question, you're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> But that's He's not Warren. a giver. But that's but that's Warren. Yeah. Oh, he gives to his family, yeah. his kids, and and he you know he gives to his friends. Yeah. Would you would you see this book as a documentary or a film? I could probably tell these stories. It's on Audible, and you can pick it up audibly. So if you like the way I talk, uh, you could hear it. And I know a lot of friends of mine said, "I'm not reading it. I love your voice. I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to it." So uh, you know that I, I hope, but nah. Uh, <laughs> the definitive. Yeah, I, 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 I've done it. I've told my story. It's not just Hollywood. There's a lot of Hollywood stories, but there's this real story about a father-son relationship. And I'm sure if you're listening out there, if you're a father or a, a father or a mother or a son or a daughter, you probably have some relationship issues with your dad or your mom, um, or with your son or your daughter. Right. So it's you know, inevitable. It's, it's but this book has that. It isn't just a bunch of stories about Hollywood. There's a there's a real spine to it that I think uh, that uh, you know you if you're trying to get out from under the shadow of and you know people like Jane Fonda. Yeah, Jane Fonda. Oh my gosh, she's just exploding with these arrests and. Jane has always been someone who does it her way. Yep. They could have written that song for her, and I applaud her. Yeah. And she had a very nice quote for me on the book. Yes, she yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. Now, here's an interesting other thing. Um, Peggy Sue Got Married is trying to become a Broadway musical. Are you aware of this? Uh, they've been trying a very long time. I know. I love making that movie. Yeah. You know, so it was it was fun. What was a fun memory from that? I love 50s and 60s music. So 
getting to hang with everybody and sing oldies when we had a break. That was fun. Nicholas Cage was singing oldies. Oh yeah, Nick. yeah. <laughs> well, but you know, a lot of people said, "Oh my God, he was brilliant," and some other people went, "Wow, Nick Cage was so weird." Well, he was supposed to be a weird '60s guy, so he was fantastic. And originally, that movie was going to be with uh, Deborah Winger and with Jonathan Demme directing, who went on to direct Silence of the Lambs in Philadelphia, but. They had an argument and um, it ended up that Winger got to stay and then we ended up with Francis Coppola and then Winger had a back injury and couldn't work so we ended up with Kathleen Turner so, and, and Kathleen was nominated for an, for an Oscar yeah. for that role. Yeah. Well, I love those happy accidents that well, happen. Well, it does. You, you never know. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. So um, you kind of answered this in the very beginning of, of our chat, but you have discovered who you are, essentially. Yeah. I think I know who I am now. And for me, right at this moment, and who knows how long it'll last, but I've got the world on a string sitting on a rainbow. Oh. Hawk Hotch, it was such a pleasure. Well, pleasure for you too. I, I, you're a great, great interview. Thank you so much. We could have talked for another three hours. It was great a pleasure. Great to meet. Great to meet you. Always news. Always refreshing. Always candid. Always billing about. Robin Milling delivers what celebrities are saying to you. To you. To you. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.